Some of you may wonder, should we read Dostoevsky as a teacher of meditation? Um, probably, I would say, very indirectly. Um, but I also, what I don't want to do today is give a literature lecture. But then I am a lecturer, so I do this for a living. So you will forgive me if I fall into that mode. Um, so Dostoevsky is much loved. He is a master psychologist. People continue to argue about his characters and as you, I don't know how many of you are familiar with his work in any, okay, so some of you. That's, 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 that's actually a good mix. So Dostoevsky, as you might see from his um, expression on this very famous picture of him, he didn't write happy characters. <laughs> so he really didn't. So today, if you have come to be lightly entertained, please leave now. That's not because of me. That's not because I'm morose. But that's because um, that's what he is doing. Um, and also, if we think there is a lot of silence, a lot of contemplation, a lot of meditation, maybe, because he was orthodox or something, um, that is also not the case. He was actually quite verbose. This is extremely small print. Um, so, unfortunately not. But um, what, I, what I would like to um, propose is that his protagonists, his um, main characters, really suffer from something that could be healed by maybe a slightly more contemplative attitude. So they are mostly embroiled in a struggle with or maybe against their own mind, and a mind that plays the same obsessive thoughts again and again and again. So some of you may just have experienced that during the meditation. Um, some of you might experience that in daily life. We all have our inner videos. We all have our inner mind trips. Um, Self-loathing is one of them, um, but also, of course, um, um, the ideas that Raskolnikov perhaps has that he is actually great when he isn't. So the consequences for his characters are painful. Um, struggle leads to a split in their personality. So for us readers, that is often excruciating to read, and it's fatal for some of the people who cross these protagonists' ways. So I am discussing two novels today, Crime and Punishment, and the um, brothers Karamazov, and both of them are murder mysteries with a twist, because we know who the murderer is from the outset. So instead of identifying, instead of wondering who done it, and um, and and kind of being excited about that that hunt for the for the perpetrator, we are invited to accompany the characters as they explore the motivation behind their deeds. So we accompany them on a journey inside towards themselves, towards self-awareness. So that's very typical of all of Dostoevsky's characters, not just of the two I'm going to talk about, is the dialogue, the inner dialogue, and often, which is often played out in their, um, in their, in their conversations with others, the dialogue with their own self-awareness. Who am I? So when I told a friend of mine, um, who I hope will at some point listen to this recording, hello Brian, um, I, that I was going to talk about Dostoevsky as a mystic, he said, you have to talk about the idiot and you have to talk about Prince Muishkin. And I said, no, I won't do that because Muishkin really is Dostoevsky's attempt at creating the ideally beautiful human being. So essentially the representation of 
Christ on earth, true to the orthodox belief that beauty and truth are inextricably entwined. I would love to talk about that. That might be a positive thing to, for next time. Um, so also, I, I find the positive heroes in Dostoevsky, they are slightly less interesting to explore. Maybe this is because I am that wired that way. That says something about me. But also, maybe because it is much harder to write well about something positive than it is to write about something negative. And if you've ever tried to write a poem when you felt very happy, you may, you may remember that. So I will, also, I will touch upon the positive heroes in Crime and Punishment and the Brothers only in passing, Sonia Marmeladova and Alyosha Karamazov. Actually, I should by this at this time be giving you some more. I don't know whether this is big enough for people to read. This is just a bit of biography. If we want to look for the mystic in Dostoevsky, so I'm saying mystic, not teacher of contemplation. I don't think that that, that, is, his, that is his agenda. Um, we have to look um, for his vision of love. So that practical, sacrificial love that is, of course, never perfect but it is an attempt at that imitation of Christ. So that is his vision of all unity. I will talk about that. But if we're looking for him as a mystic, that is what we have to look for. So this is really the barest bit of biography. Well, it's three Bs in one sentence. Um, so he had some, um, he had a, a conversion experience when he spent four years in a labor camp in Siberia in the 1850s. And so they, I, I, I can put up the letter, actually, where he talks about his religious, his religious, not quite transformation, but conversion. This is actually the letter. And the interesting bit about this is, even if someone were to prove to me that the truth lay outside Christ, I should choose to remain with Christ rather than with the truth. That is a big, um, a big statement that you might want to ponder. But he's, of course, says even if someone were to prove to me. Um, so his vision is urgent. He, um, it, is, it, is, it is motivated by this personal conversion. At the same time, he was very much a man of his time. And some of the intensity of his polemic, and I personally believe if you want to read Crime and Punishment and get a lot out of it, you should know a tiny bit about the background, um, is, 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 is determined by, this, um, by the intellectual climate. So Dostoevsky was an Orthodox Christian. He had conservative views. Um, but he was also not necessarily a man of the establishment church. Um, he had come to regard the church as, the, as, as a bureaucracy, as an extended arm of the state, tainted by power, tainted by materialism, and above all, um, callous and indifferent towards the needs of the people. So the real church is not materialized yet, and in his belief, it lay with the Russian people, with the simple people. So that's his idea. Um, and one more thing that you should know about the Orthodox Church. Um, the Orthodox Church has traditionally had less of a problem with contemplation in the West. The Catholic Church, the um, Protestant churches have been very suspicious about the contemplative tradition when orthodoxy has not been 
suspicious. Um, this is because Orthodox, the Orthodox Church has no scholastic tradition, no St. Thomas Aquinas, so no tradition, broadly speaking, of um, inquiring into theological matters um, with the help of the mind and with the help of logic. That's one. And secondly, the Orthodox, but this is already points to another problem. Um, the Orthodox, uh, the Russian world never went through the Renaissance and the Enlightenment. So religion, the church and theology was not used to defending itself against the onslaught of rationalist ideas, did never have to argue for its existence among fashion for rationalism. And I will get into that in a second. So Russia was particularly vulnerable to the onslaught of radical ideas in the 19th century when atheist thinkers such as Marx and Feuerbach became available in, in Russia. So, and their ideas really were um, picked up by socially-minded intellectuals such as John Mishewski, who developed this idea that rational egoism um, can become, can, can turn egoism into altruism. So a rational person's true self-interest is the well-being of everyone. Um, in the form that it is put, this is wishful thinking. I think history has borne that out. Um, this is, of course, different if we think about our families, but then maybe not every family. So um, Dostoevsky really polemicized against rational atheism, against Marx, against Feuerbach, and especially against their Russian incarnations. Um, in Chernyshevsky, so notes from the underground really is that polemical, that polemical answer. So that's really all I want to say in terms of background. Um, so crime and punishment, crime and punishment. No, don't have anything um, fancy about crime and punishment. Then maybe um, one thing that needs pointing out generally: the tension between doubt and faith motivates all of Dostoevsky's great novels. Um, so one of the things that he does exceptionally well is he argues against his own faith. And often he is more convincing when he argues against his own faith than when he argues for it, which um, seems to suggest that he has experienced at least some of the doubts that his protagonists experience himself. Um, people say, those of you with a literary bend, um, Dostoevsky has been known as a, um, employing a polyphonic way of narration. So Mikhail Bakhtin um, has written a very um, extensive study of that, i.e. that all his characters get the same weight, that the narr narrator, that the author isn't judging, isn't hectoring them. That is true on the level of narration. I wouldn't vouch for it on the level of plot, because if one position is constantly on the level of events proven to be in the wrong, then we can say that the author definitely, or the narrator definitely, has an agenda there. So, um, Crime and Punishment, if you remember correctly, um, Crime and Punishment, a young student called Raskolnikov um, murders, t murders in a very terrible way, murders his old landlady. His landlady is a pawnbroker and a particularly nasty specimen of human being. And Raskolnikov, who is enamored really with these 
um, rationalist socialist ideas um, is somehow trying to convince himself that he is murdering her for the good of everybody else. So um, he is, he is um, claiming, um, on the one hand, he is claiming that rationalism, he, he believes that rationalism could, um, that human beings can ch take charge of the world by means of reason, and then on the other hand, um, that leads him to commit a terrible crime. So let's have a look at how he does that. So this is Raskolnikov explaining his vision to an officer he met in a, in a, in a, in a public event. And I really like this drawing by Mikhail Shemyakin, Raskolnikov with his axe. Um, and you can kind of almost see thoughts going round in his head, going round and round and round and round. So he is claiming he is claiming a thousand good deeds and initiative, hundreds, possibly thousands of lives could be set on the right path, and all on this on her money. We already see the hyperbole in the way he talks, and I put out, I put this entire bit up there um, because it's a very good example of Dostoevsky's style. So this kind of obsessive, he talks for pages and pages and pages, and we can really see it's going on in his mind, it's going on, it's going on, it's going on. So somebody who's definitely also in the grip of a mental crisis. And so he says, kill her and take her money so as to devote yourself afterwards to the service of all humanity and the common cause. What do you reckon? Won't thousands of good deeds iron out one little crime? That's a big question. Um, for one life, thousands of lives saved from decay and ruin. One death and a hundred lives in return, it's basic arithmetic. <laughs> and next one is interesting. And anyway, what does the life of this consumptive, stupid, nasty hag weigh on the scale of the word? No more than the life of a louse, a cockroach, and it's not even worth that because the hag is vicious. And his rationality has all of a sudden gone somewhere altogether very, um, very, very different. So he has, um, he has divided humanity into, into two um, categories. So, um, but when we, Dostoevsky has taken a particularly nasty example and a particularly ludicrous example. He is killing this old person and who, does, who isn't actually very rich. She has some money and yes, she's been preying on the vulnerable in society like, um, uh, like places like Wonga nowadays. But um, this is ludicrous, of course. But the question, the, the question is, does the, does the end sat, um, justify the means? And I think when we ask what happens if somebody um, hijacks a plane and um, threatens to crash it into the centre of London, can we, can we actually shoot it out of the sky? Are we obliged to shoot it out of the sky? Or can we never ever do sacrifice what some people to, to, to save others? So it's not, it's not an empty question, but that's not what Dostoevsky is, um, is, is, is on about here. So um, Raskolnikov Raskolnikov's mind and Raskolnikov's mind that is prone to that's prone to going round and round and round um, has imbibed these rationalist ideas that life is an equation and has drawn up his own theory that divides mankind into the 
So this is him going on and on. Um, so have a read through if you can. So dividing mankind into the ordinary, those who are to obey their rulers, and the extraordinary, who exercise power over them and stand above the law that, um, and, and the dictates of conscience. When the time comes to proclaim the, um, a, a new word. Um, this is really, really interesting. This is from an article he claims to have written. Uh, he has actually written, um, but we never read it. It, it only gets, um, it only gets um, we only know about it because he, he boasts about it. And um, so he says, if Kepler and Newton could not have become public knowledge without the lives of one, ten, a hundred, or however many people who were interfering, being sacrificed, then Newton would have the right and would even have been obliged to remove these people. Um, so that's one thing. Um, then he conflates that with the deeds of Napoleon. So science and war, it's all the same. Um, so Napoleon, Muhammad, Solon, Lysergus, they were cr criminals, if for no other reason than that by introducing a new law. Um, they violated the ancient law. And it goes without saying that they did not flinch from bloodshed. So this does sound like the ravings, does begin to sound like the ravings of um, somebody who is not in his right mind, but somebody published it. And then he goes on, I believe that people by law of nature are divided into two categories, categories the lower one and um, the material, thank you very much, the material that serves solely to generate its own likeness, i.e. to procreate like a bacterium, and actual people, i.e. those with a gift or talent to utter within their environment a new word. In the second category, everyone oversteps the law, they are destroyers, or that way inclined in accordance with their abilities. So, so think about it. He places the scientific cat uh, discoveries of Copernicus, Newton, and others at the same level as the military tyranny of Napoleon, questionable. And then he likens his own murderous intentions to both. Um, so this, at this point, it must become utterly clear that this is not driven by any concern for the well-being of anybody. <laughs> at all, and not even himself. Um, so his entire theory of the new word is motiva motivated by the will to power. And actually, Dostoevsky uncannily foretold many of the, um, the trains of thought of Nietzsche, who later, I had that early on the slides, that Dostoevsky is the only psychologist he ever learned anything from. So the will to power is definitely something that we see here at will. He wants the power to assert himself. The new law is nothing else than the power to assert himself, assert himself over others. So um, we can conclude no, actually, this is not what I wanted. Um, so we can conclude that what actually motivated him is pride. And pride not for concern, not con certainly not concern for others, but also not personal greed. He didn't actually even take the money. Well, he took the money from the moneylender, and then he buried it somewhere. He couldn't make use of it. 
Um, he didn't do any of the things that he had tried to tell himself he was going to, to, to do. Nothing to do with personal greed, but certainly nothing to do with the well-being of others. No rational equation there. So um, what my suggestion is, I'm not the first person who has had that thought, is that what got to him was pride. And Russian is, uh, Russian is actually more expressive than English. Um, because, well, we all know, I think we all know, that um, pride is considered the most serious of the cardinal faults because it's the one into which all others collapse. So um, it's, and, and pride, what is pride? Pride is, the, pride is the burning desire really to establish, the burning desire of the creature to establish its own law. So it's the ultimate rebellion of the creature against the creator. The insistence, or in more worldly terms, if that sounds too much fire and brimstone and she's not even up on a pulpit, um, maybe we could say it is the, um, it is the, the, the desire to, to do as you think fit um, and without thinking that actually life is not under your control, whether you believe in God or not, we are all mortal, um, life is not, we don't control our own lives, only to a very, very small extent, and none of us controls, controls birth and death. So that's, um, that's in, a sense, in a sense, what makes us creatures. Um, and so pride as sinful self-will in Russian, in the Russian language, is distinguished from pride in the common usage, like show some pride, or I'm very proud of my own achievements, or my children's achievements, or somebody's achievements. So Russian has gordoist, meaning pride, the normal thing. And then it has gardynia, and gardynia is pride as a sin, as a theological, um, as a theological um, category. So that is what has, um, what has um, got to Raskolnikov. So um, at, the very, at the very least, at the very least, the utilitarian rational ideas, when they meet with his pride, some kind of chemical reaction happens, and it turns him into a hater rather than a lover of mankind, and maybe Dostoevsky is warning against the tendency there that we um, that that might happen that if if you categorize life according to to arithmetics according to equations and if that then comes in contact with the human tendency towards pride the example is horrific and in order to drive home the message um, the example is a bit maybe um, histrionic. So, um, so um, um, Raskolnikov is beset really by contempt for others, and that will, I don't know whether you've looked at the handouts, which is not for now, it's for the other talk, um, but that is another, another topic that carries through lots of his work, um, people who despise others. Um, and that is a problematic, that is definitely problematic. So he is contempt, he is beset by contempt, and he is a man of reason, a student, a learned person. And so then this, the contact with bad philosophy, with Western atheism, which according to Dostoevsky alienates the Russian people from their true source, 
um, is doing something terrible because it's telling him that there must be a rational basis for what he feels and that since rationality is the highest faculty, this must be correct. So his, he has another, he has a friend, I'll show you, a, um, I'll show you a, a quotation later, who is, ex is ex exposed to exactly the same philosophy and doesn't turn into a Raskolnikov. Raskolnikov is, as, um, as many of Dostoevsky's heroes, as many of many heroes of Russian literature in general, Raskolnikov has a speaking name, because Raskol in Russian is a schism. So Raskolnikov made, well, this is generated from the word raskolot, is to split. So if I was splitting wood, that would be the verb I'd employ. And raskol is this schism, including the schism in the, in the Orthodox Church in the 16th century. So he is, in a sense, a schismatic. Um, he causes schism, but he's also beset by this um, schism. What then is the... Um, what then is the other side to his personality? Well, the other side is um, a voice that doubts what he, that what he has done is right. Even before the murder, I don't have the time to go into that, but one of the most iconic things, um, one of the most iconic scenes in Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment is Raskolnikov's nightmare um, about, there's a memory actually, about the, the, um, a man and then three men actually beating a horse to death. And it horrifies him so much that he almost doesn't go through with his plan to murder the pawnbroker. So he has, he has another voice that's arguing in him. And this voice insists that his plans are repulsive. And were it not for rationalism, he might have heeded that voice, who knows. So Raskolnikov commits the murder, and then he commits another murder because his, the pawnbroker's sister, who is actually very lovely and who is a Christian and has nothing to do with all of this, but she, she, um, she, she catches him, and so he kills her as well. He commits double murder, and then he comes undone. So fear was gripping him tighter and tighter, especially after his second wholly unexpected killing. He wanted to flee, the sooner the better. And had he only been capable at that moment of seeing straight, and I've left out something, then he might very well have dropped everything and given himself up, not out of fear for himself, but from pure horror and disgust at what he had done. This disgust in particular was rising and growing inside him minute by minute. So that's, um, that is, is, is what happens. And... Um, so he's then, he can't make any use of the money. He's haunted by his inner voice in the same way that he's haunted by the ghost of the old woman that he slaughtered. So rather than turning him into a benefactor of humankind who then relishes the company of others because he can, he can engage with them, um, he was cut off from humanity altogether. So the, the greatest feeling really that he, um, he experiences is that feeling of, it's not estrangement, it's estrangement, but um, a gloomy sensation of excruciating, endless solitude and estrangement suddenly communicated itself consciously to his soul, and he, he tries to hold up somewhere. So he feels, he feels estranged from others. 
And then finally, he comes to this realization. The hags neither here nor there, he thought impetuously. I didn't murder a person, I murdered the principal. Yes, I murdered the principal, all right, but I didn't step over. I remained on this side. All I managed to do was kill. I didn't even manage that, as it turns out. So what he means is that he hasn't made the final step that would make him a superhuman above the law of good and evil. So another twist, Dostoevsky likes to add psychological twists. If you try to follow him, don't, try, don't ever draw a spider diagram or anything trying to follow his psychological twist, because it really will look like, like this. And it will, I tried to do that yesterday, and I was like, no, 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 I have to stop. It doesn't work. But this is another twist, really. Um, it turns out that the murder was not just an expression of pride. It was simply the task of um, Raskolnikov set himself. Can I do it? Do I dare to overstep the law of conscience and morality? Now, in English, the, 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 the novel is called Crime and Punishment. In Russian, it's called Prestuplenie Nakazanie. Prestuplenie is crime. And Prestuplenie comes from the verb Perestupit, which means to step across. So in English, we have that as transgression, which has the Latin step across in it. Um, but crime doesn't quite convey it. So here in Russian, it would be Yanye Perestupil. So I didn't step over, I didn't make that step. So the, the, the language actually does matter hugely. So he, has, he is essentially a failure. He's really gripped by failure. Reason tells him that he has failed and um, everything has gone wrong in psychological terms. So he, is, he wanted to create, if we want to um, use the language of psychology, he wanted to, you, to create a new self. Um, he wanted to say, it's actually a very well-chosen metaphor to say his new word. He wanted to create a new story for himself and a new self for himself, a new identity, um, an identity in a plot that he had written himself. And that didn't happen, so instead his old identity was destroyed, um, so he is no longer an obsessed thinker, he's an outcast, a murderer, at this point a man with a terrible secret, um, who's lost faith in his own theories and is also on the brink of madness. So the agony really is the result of him being torn between the desire to be part of the community around him and at the same time, to stand above them. Now, that doesn't work. I'm either above or with. And so the crime has, as he senses, for some irrational reason, severed the bond that he, between him and others. But at the same time, so that's, that's, what he, that's where he is. And um, this is from the English version, so page 329 is here. So that's half of the book. Um, don't worry, I will not overrun. I, I am late, but I don't overrun. Um, so, 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 but the agony really is, and there is not so much more that I will, I will tell you, the, but the agony, the fact that he is torn by this, he, he still has this desire to be part of community. He still feels that the murder that he has committed is actually something atrocious and horrible. Um, 
um, is, 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 is his chance because what that is is the voice of conscience. So his innate morality, I think this is one of Dostoevsky's convictions that people have innate morality. Um, so this is part of the human makeup. You can't unhinge that. Or rather, if you manage to unhinge it, you're dead as a human being. And there is another protagonist called Svidrigailov. I really don't have the time to talk about Svidrigailov, but he is that person who has unhinged morality. And he's not actually a great Napoleon. Um, he is a rather sorry pervert who also wreaks destruction, um, especially among women, and who is spiritually very empty and ends up shooting himself. And when after um, um, Raskolnikov is told about told that, he actually goes and turns himself in. So Svidrigailov would be one option. But the option is not to be Napoleon and to be great, but the option is to be a man totally ruled by passions um, with no conscience whatsoever. But Raskolnikov has met Sonia. Now, Sonia is a Sonia is one of Dostoevsky's perhaps not too credible characters. You can see the, the drawing, actually, she looks a bit like an icon, and she is the embodiment of some perfect Christian virtues, already foreshadowed in her name, Sophia, the Greek for wisdom. So very common in Russian, shortened to Sonia. Sonia is 17, and um, she is a prostitute who's doing that in order to help her alcoholic father and her family. Um, so she really has lied, laid down her life for, for others. But she is, and this is, I don't really want to talk about whether we believe Sonia or not, but she is so rich inwardly and so stable that she is able to relate to the murderer Raskolnikov with love and compassion. So Dostoevsky really had a thing for the, um, for the meek and righteous prostitute. She's not the first and not the last prostitute character that we come across. Um, so she is, um, she is really um, um, helping Raskolnikov. She actually reads the Bible with him. They read the story about the raising of Lazarus. And she is the one who tells him that he has to accept punishment for his crime. And just one single quotation, really, from her. Um, but who, how can I know the ways of God? So this is actually when Raskolnikov says, um, uh, Raskolnikov tempts her. This is another, um, is another um, characteristic or another trait, character trait of Dostoevsky's great doubters, they tempt others. So they, they draw others in with these arguments and they, they um, and temptation is what the devil does. So I'll get to that in the second half. Um, but so he asks her, why should this guy, they're talking about somebody else, Luzhin, why should he go on and live when your own family and yourself um, are doomed to destitution? Shouldn't he die? And she says, but um, how can I know the ways of God? And why do you ask me what mustn't be asked? So don't even go there. Why all these empty questions? How could it ever depend on my decision? And who has made me the judge here about who should live and who shouldn't? So that's, in a, that's in a nutshell, the refutation of his of his um, theory, do not judge, do not play God, do not assume a position that isn't given to you. 
Um, so don't be, don't be proud in that sense. Don't think you have the answers. And this is well, this is, sorry, I don't have a picture of him, Razumichin, who is actually, Razumichin has another speaking name. Razum in Russian is reason. So he doesn't argue with, um, with um, any um, Christian moral ideas. Um, he is actually not particularly religious, but he says, living souls demand life, living souls don't obey mechanics, living souls are suspicious, living souls are reactionary. You can't leave over nature by logic alone. Um, so this is another, this is another um, really good um, refutation. And he see it, so you cut everything off and boil it down to one simple thing. The easy solution, seductively simple. No need to think. We can think about that, actually, when we try to systematize whether that isn't just cutting off all the eventualities. So with the help of Sonia, Raskolnikov hands himself over to the law. And he's, been, he's sent to Siberia to do penal servitude. On the surface, everything is calm, but the inner struggle is still going on. And lots of people have argued that what, what is played out then is the um, epilogue of the book. And one very um, popular essay question for undergraduate is, undergraduates is, should the epilogue be part of the book discuss? Um, it, it yields astonishing answers. People really think about it deeply. I haven't made my mind up. Um, but Raskolnikov, so he is, he is in Siberia, um, but the, he still hasn't surrendered internally. All he has accepted is that he has failed. His plan has failed, and therefore he needs to, um, he needs to, he needs to um, do penance. But he still places himself above other people, tries to justify his crime. And so, so, so he, it's still on his mind that he found himself unable to overstep. So he cracked under an irrational mixture of emotions. And that's a truth he finds very, very hard to accept. And so the inmates of the penal colony, although mostly uneducated, and they're all criminals themselves, of course, many of them murderers, instinctively feel his alienation, that he feels that he is better than them. And they reject him on the ground that he's godless. They call him godless. Um, but he hasn't, Sonia Marmeladova has followed him to Siberia, and there is a copy of the gospel under his pillow, but he hasn't opened it. Um, so he, he has his conscience is, is there, um, his ability to love is there, he's very much in love with Sonia. So he's in principle still savable. And in the context of the novel, that salvation can only come through the miracle of religious faith. And um, that is something Dostoevsky consciously doesn't describe. You can't really describe a conversion. You can't describe a moment of grace. You can't describe a miracle. So that is why Dostoevsky, or that is maybe because or why Dostoevsky is not a bad writer. So he doesn't wrap things up ni nicely. Raskolnikov's story is open. He might convert. He might not. Um, but just a, just a thought, really, to, to sum up. Um, really, his tragedy consists, and this is coming back to 
is, um, you know, what can we as contemplatives, if we want to read Dostoevsky as maybe a source of inspiration, and having had all these words, and then me talking, and where's silence, where is contemplation? Maybe, um, I don't know whether any of you are familiar with Martin Laird, who is also regularly um, spoken here. Is he coming this year? Yeah. Good. So I'm advertising somebody else's event. If you haven't heard him, go. Um, because he is a, he's a great teacher and he uses slightly different language than you might be used to from if you've read Father John or, or even Lawrence. So he uses a slightly different language and he does amazing things. And there's a little book by him called The Sundered Absence. And he talks about how he works with students who study the church fathers. There's a very moving chapter on um, mind tripping. So you, you, we are all, we're all stuck on our inner video, and that plays itself again and again and again. And what we do is we identify ourselves with the video. That's the only inner life that we know. Therefore, that must be my inner life. And Raskolnikov has that problem. So he is stuck on that. On that, on that, on that loop, really, that tells him he's better, better than others, but failed miserably when he tried to assert himself. So he's a failure. This voice says failure, failure, failure all the time. So lack of unity. He's calling others objects. He judges. Um, he's analysing. He's judging. He can't feel. He can't experience. But um, especially since he is in the end looking for God, the. The, the search for God really demands single-mindedness or single-souledness, whatever you want to call that. So he doesn't have that. And if he could accept that it's just a figment of his mind um, and that he is not the same thing as his mind, but that's very difficult for a learned person to accept, then he might be able to let it go. And then there would be space for something else to come and fill the space. So accepting himself as a creature, as the same as all others, would restore his dignity as a human being. And that would reunite him with the others. So, and it would deliver him from this excruciating compulsion to prove himself, which nobody has asked of him, just his mind. So he is actually a perfect, he would be a perfect study case for Martin Laird's students after they've read Evagrius, I think. So um, I think that's it from, from Raskolnikov. So the author really, I like this, he does, he does um, dispense with the, it would have been a feat to describe a member of the 1860s intelligentsia, um, of the radical intelligentsia, because that is who Raskolnikov is, that is what Dostoevsky's polemic is against. And to describe somebody like that to find religious faith and to become a redeemed sinner. But since the story has no end, he couldn't finish. He had to write an epilogue, and then the epilogue was open. Um, because we end with a scene of the gospel under his pillow that he hasn't opened. Um, we don't know whether he actually manages to have this insight. So thank you. This is the, was the first half.